0: So upon completion of uh, the feeding of the 5,000, immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida while he sent the multitude away. Uh, Let's remember that Jesus made them get in the boat. Okay? Um, You know, there is the insistent imploring in that. To whatever degree they were saying, sure, good, don't want to have to clean up anyway. uh, You know, whatever Uh, the Lord is the, the insistence. You know, you have to consider that the Holy Spirit made sure that the insistence was included in this passage. So, you know, when we say all scripture is God breathed, you want to notice the nuance sometimes because it has application. Insisted that they get into the boat. And uh, he's going to send the multitude away. And when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. Remember how he wanted to get alone and rest? Remember that? Um, so apparently, get in the boat, guys. And as they peel off, what? He just says to everybody else, uh, and be on your way. And you know, anyone that would have thought to follow him, Uh, uh, is now uh glutted okay you you really do have to think about uh thanksgiving day okay when um you know you have eaten beyond measure and you're feeling a little tired and maybe a little sweaty and then somebody says and do you want pie you know and um you know you you, because it's thanksgiving, say "Yes," and then they say, "Well, do you want chocolate cream or apple?" and you say a little of both right and 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 now, right you you are so, so packed with food that you're like, "Hey, wanna go for a very strenuous hike?" and the answer is automatically and emphatically no right sounds good take one for me i don't know you know it's not he heads up the mountain guys okay that's literally the degree to which he fed this crowd glutted couldn't possibly taste so good might want to Ooh, you know somebody offers you a little more and you you almost like, no, I don't can't hardly bear to look at that. I've got so much food on. that's how they ate. okay, now Jesus gets a moment alone, right? because no one's going to follow him into the exertion of the climb. He goes to be alone. I think that there's quite a bit to see there in regard to Jesus' desire to be alone and pray. Right. He's very willing to let the other people go about their business and feed their flesh. And he doesn't even have any condemnation for it. But he sets the example in. And now I'm going to hike the mountain and I'm going to get alone with the Lord. So in that now, when evening it came, the boat was in the middle of the sea and he was alone on land. And when he saw him, them straining at rowing for the wind was against them I grew up on a relatively large lake for Maine anyway it's certainly not the sea like Galilee but uh, ten miles wide long three and a half miles wide and uh, I had a uh, a 12 foot wooden rowboat and uh, you know my mother was not crazy enough to give me a motor But, um, you know, we rode all over that lake, and uh, there was a huge island more than a mile offshore, and I would, you know, row out there and hike around and do, you know, all kinds of squirrel hunting and, you know, young man things out there to to be adventurous, my own little Tarzan world of of exploring. And uh, there were a couple of occasions where, you know, you're coming back through CHOP, that's really unfriendly and uh, you know you have to make the decision like okay so i'm gonna go across the wind down the shoreline and row three and a half miles home rather than the mile and a quarter straight line that i came out here on there wasn't any cell phone to check the weather before you headed out remember those days And so, um, you know, there's some exertion here, and they've been at it hard into the wee hours of the morning. They've been pulling on the oars. And uh, part of it seems to be admirable, right, because Jesus has said, I want you to go to the other side. And they're experienced fishermen, and they're experienced mariners, so we're going to stay at it. We're going to continue on you know the blisters have appeared on their hands and they have wrapped the oars probably and continued to wail along in this if you apply that to your christian life or to ministry you might get a little deeper understanding how you just hammer along even though it's gotten a little treacherous along the way and he can see them in this straining throw the wind was against them now about the fourth watch of the night he came to them walking on the sea oh what a wonderful event jesus has come out to bail them out of their situation and now the rescuer has arrived but then the next few words right and would have passed them by right how far away from the boat is he? Right? he? He is off one side and just striding by. Right? I mean, you have to take note of this. The Holy Spirit has included this. It even tells us the intention of his heart. Right? John, Mark, and Peter have worked together to compile this book but the Holy Spirit has revealed this to us. Did Jesus confess that to the boys at some point? You know what I'm saying? Like all the freakout scene that follows here, did, did they ask at some point, you know, it really looked like you were just going to walk right by. And Jesus was like, well, I was. Okay, because it's recorded here, so we have to assume that's the truth of the circumstance. Jesus just passing by. Okay, are we getting any spiritual application in your troubled waters? And Jesus almost seems to be passing you by. Right? Like you see him working in somebody else's boat, and you're like, why not mine? I don't know. Have you not noticed that we are sinking over here? We are bailing as hard as we can go, rowing as hard as we can go, and you're helping those people out? What is the issue? I'm right here. Am I not one of the 12? What is going on? Am I not a child of God? Why are you seeming to pass me by? You know what, you guys? I don't often make a big deal about the differences of translation, right? Right? Um, There are profound, I I teach from the New King James Version, okay? I started that when I was a youth pastor in 1995 because I'm way hung up on the King James Version, okay? uh, Above anything else, that's what I enjoy. It's what I was raised in. I read from it well. I teach from it well. I understand it very well. But what I was dealing with is I teach and then I have to translate right? We don't use that 1600s English anymore, so I have to translate, and then I have to teach and apply. So I made the choice. I examined very thoroughly all of the translations that were available to me at the time, and I just settled on New King James Version. There are profound problems with the New King James Version, okay? And if you're like, you know, a hardcore new King uh, King James version. Let me just be clear. There are profound problems with the King James version. The awesome thing about the King James version is it's been around since before 1611 and the errors and the difficulties are extremely well documented. So so it's easier to teach from because we know where the pitfalls are, you know. There are no unicorns, if you know what I'm talking about. Right. The King James Version makes ref- reference to that. Uh, you know, so, so there, there are problems. The issue that I, the reason I'm bringing this up is there are there are translations that make no mention of the fact that Jesus was meaning to pass them by. OK, you lose context in certain settings. Okay, love the NIV. I mean, love it for, for, for the degree to which it speaks so clearly. Incredible the way it communicates, right? Profoundly flawed when it comes to the deity of Jesus Christ. Known passages where it's referring to the fact that Jesus is God. The fact that Jesus is God. It omits things about his deity. Why? 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 There's no trouble with the understanding of the original text in context. What what is the motivation? I don't know what the motivation is. But it's deeply concerning to me that at any point you would extract the deity of Jesus Christ from a known passage of Scripture. Okay? So I read from the New King James Version. And it's flawed. And I study as best I can for 30 plus years now where those flaws are so that when we... Land on them, I can point them out to you. You know, for for everybody that you know is all hung up on a particular translation, I would encourage you to follow the example of my friend Don Stewart, who early on in his teen years in the 70s of coming to know the Lord and having a deep impact about the translations of the scripture, took it upon himself to learn Greek and Hebrew. And now he reads from a Greek and a Hebrew translation. And he doesn't make a big deal about it. When Don reads you a passage of Scripture and he's sharing it with you, he's transliterating it as he's reading it. That, that's like way beyond my skill level. Okay. The point being, I, th- I think it's, forgive me, forgive me. I think it's really arrogant to get hung up on a translation and insist upon it. To what degree are you a student of the Scripture? Great. Dig in. Do that. That's, that's a wonderful thing. Okay, But let's be clear, there are some of us who struggle to even read. Okay, so, so whatever translation of the Bible you can open up daily and get into and absorb, do that. Right? The King James Version, part of the reason that it's flawed, and I know I'm ruffling some people's feathers with that, part of the reason that it was flawed is because the intention of translating it into the English language was to put it in the modern vernacular, right? So so these guys that are doing that now, like, let's put it in the modern language, and everybody goes, see, that's the problem. Well, Well, that's why there's problems with the King James Version. You know, prior to this, there was a dedication of believers that when they wanted to know the Scripture, they learned the original language and they read from it. Uh, dwell on the, all of that, however you want to. My point is this: there are flaws, and we need to be careful. We need to be careful about those flaws. Study the Scripture, study all of them. I use Bible software, and I, eSword is what I recommend. You know, Logos is great. I use it also. Olive Tree is wonderful. I have it on my phone. I use lots of different, but eSword is what I have stuck with for decades. Now, and when I read the Bible, I usually have anywhere from six to eight copies opened in the software, and I'm comparing back and forth across to see the differences so that the, the you know teaching comes across as best I can possibly accomplish it. Jesus was meaning to pass them by. If your translation doesn't say that, look for a different translation. Okay, Consider the process. It is contained... You know, I'm going to go off on this for a little while. That whole thing of, I find it deceptive and arrogant when translations of the Bible have in the footnote, original text omits such and such. Yeah. Like you've ever read the original text. No one has. Everything we have are copies, right? Nobody has a signed version of Paul's writings. No one has a signed copy. Imagine how unspeakably valuable, right, a single copy of the book of Matthew would be if it were, in fact, the original When we say original, what we're talking about are the thousands of manuscripts, and and there are thousands, right, because all of the Christians wanted them, so they paid for copies to be made. So now I can compare copy 1,000 against copy 1, against copy 15, against copy 258, and I can see the differences in the copy, and we come to the conglomeration concurrence what they all commonly say okay so so when we say common text or we say the original text what we're t- talking about is the examination of all of those okay i'll ruffle more feathers we talk about with this church this denomination calvary chapel is pre-tribulation uh, you know uh, rapture and and, and A number of people are not. And and there is a verse, you might want to write this down. Uh, It is Revelation chapter 5, verse 9. The church is in heaven, and it says, The Lord has redeemed us from every tribe, tongue, nation on the earth. The translators all agree that if that verse says the Lord has redeemed us, then the church has already been raptured and the church is in heaven. Okay? So that, that verse conclusively teaches pre-tribulation rapture. Those that are not pre-tribulation rapturists say, well, there are 95 copies of the book of revelation and only 29 of them say us and so then you're left thinking like well yeah that is sort of like a profound discrepancy if you've got 95 and only 29 of them say us then who's right okay what the mid-trib and post-tribulation rapturists will not tell you is only 29 of the copies contain chapter 5 So all the copies we have say us, every one of them. Yeah, there's 95 copies of bits and pieces and parts of the book of Revelation. But only 29 of them have chapter 5 in it. And all 29 of them say us. So then you're left with, so it's pre-tribulation rapture. They use that as ammunition. Do you understand the deception that's involved in that? You know, we we're reading things in the footnotes and the margin, and, and it, it's very convincing. We go, oh wow, that's you got to dig deeper to know and understand what the scripture is saying, how and why. You know, in regard to that one subject, how about this? You know, they say, oh well, that you know, the teaching of pre-tribulation rapture did not emerge until fairly recently in history. Darby, you know, brought that in, and it's been perpetuated from there. How about this? I don't refer to them as early church fathers because that's a Roman Catholic terminology. I I will say Roman Catholic leader, you know, or the early church leaders, rather. The early church leaders, all of them said, if you didn't teach pre-tribulation rapture, you are a heretic and should be put out of the church. That's in the first 100 years of Christianity so- So, to say that it's a fairly recent development in Christianity is completely false. You know, did Darby more codify it, and then people follow and it become a more popularized teaching in modern times? Sure. But it was a foundational teaching of the church. You know How can you know it even further, right? When you're reading the book of Acts and it says that they sold everything that they have and they lived together communally, caring for one another's needs. They did that because they were convinced Jesus Christ is coming back any minute. Why, what do I have need of property and you know ownership and things? They weren't a bunch of communists saying let's all live together. If you think I'm just throwing that in there for modern effect, that communal living is what ruined the church financially. So that there were people who had nothing, and now Paul is having to go around to the Gentile churches and take up collections in order to support the church at Jerusalem because moochers have come in and sucked the church dry. Because oh, wait a minute, I can quit my if I become a Christian, I can quit my job, and just go hang out with the Christians and go to Bible studies and get free lunch. I'm doing that, right? Human corruption has always been the same. Look at what's happening in our culture right now. Right. Free paycheck. Stay at home. Great. Who cares if it collapses my society? And so it has. Where was I? Back here. He meant to pass them by. And when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost and cried out. I tend to have quite an imagination, and I often wonder what that looked like Jesus walking on the sea. How does that go down? It's a storm, right? The waves are big. Is there like a calm sphere around him where he's just moving through the storm and everything's just sort of peeling off around him, right? Is he working his way up over a wave and sliding down the other side? Uh, how does this go down? This, this It's a really interesting thing to consider. How, how does this take place that Jesus is moving through? There are many things I want to know. Beautiful thing is Corinthians tells us that when we are in his presence, we will know as we are known. I long for that. I long for the knowing and what it is. That the Lord will have to reveal to us. They cried out. I would think so. That 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 crying out is the idea of girl scream. <clears throat> you know, big burly Peter, which history tells us he is. Head and shoulders taller than the other apostles. Older gentleman, white hair, white beard is what church history tells us. Gnarled old fisherman. How many fish was it in the net? 162, right, there that day when they cast out their nets and they couldn't bring them and they brought them to shore and they couldn't pull them in. And Peter said, step out of the way, grabbed the net and pulled them in. That was to demonstrate for us the size and strength of Peter. He was a big guy and turns around and sees Jesus and there's a shrill scream, right? That's how frightening it was. You know, you, you can just sort of hear this so many times that, you know, your Sunday school mind loses traction with how frightening this would be. You turn around and there is a human being walking through the stormy waves of the sea. It is going to freak your soul out to the core. And they cry out. For they all saw him and were troubled. That That is the idea of it affected them so deeply that they lost control of themselves they 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 just you know came undone when you say it right woe is me for i am done undone as isaiah said that's that's where we're at it just baffles their mind but immediately he talked with them and said to them be of good cheer it is i do not be afraid is it has he you know, the screeching has caught his attention and now he's turned toward, is he three steps off, 10 steps off? He's turned towards the boat and he's coming and he's speaking to them. This is an amazing experience. Then he went up into the boat to them and the wind ceased and they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled. It's their stumbling, stammering, fumbled Just can't, you know, bumbling their way through these minutes. It's just, you know, spinning in circles. You know, just I'm going to, I'm going to, I, I, you know, they, they don't have any composure within themselves for what they just experienced. Jesus just steps into the situation and marvels them all. For they had not understood about the loaves. They were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled for they had not understood about the lows because their heart was hardened. You know what, what an interesting thing to tag the end of that section with. Okay. The, the complexity of it is um, I'm, I'm into illusion and magic tricks, as we say. Um, And I, I tend to explain them to people and it, and then you're completely unimpressed. <laughs> I'm saying it's just it, it, illusion is lie, right? You know, you, you go through this process of presenting a, a, a fiction. You create, um, a, a circumstance where the eye says something, um, one that I do all the time. Um, I, I had to purchase it from another illusionist. Uh, maybe you've seen it where they have the red handkerchief and, um, they, they form their hand like this, and they poke the handkerchief into their hand. And then they'll say things like, blow on my hand, and they open their hand, and it's gone. And then they'll pull it out of the other hand, you know, poke it in here, go like this, open hand, to like throw it up. In the air. I should have brought it with me. Go like this, throw it in the air. Nothing travels through the air. I catch it in this hand and pull the handkerchief out of this hand you know i i do it with sugar packets in front of waitresses you know i'll say you know people people normally pour their sugar into their coffee like this and i'll rip a packet open and pour it in the coffee like that i say but i do it like this and i rip the packet open and i pour it into this hand right and then i open up my hand and nothing is there right and i pick up my coffee cup like this and out of my other hand i pour the sugar into the coffee And they're like, you know, mind blown. You know, you you go through this whole thing. Here it is. And there's a point to this. Stay with me. It's a rubber thumb that fits over my thumb. And you put it in your hand here. And when you're putting the handkerchief into your hand, the last one that you poke it down with is your own thumb. And when you retrieve it back, it's on this thumb. And they think it's still there. And you cup like this and take the the fake thumb off in this hand. And then you open this hand and there's nothing there. And their mind is blown. <laughs> and you pick up and you pour out or you pull out, right? It's illusion. It's sleight of hand. Okay. The, the, they did not understand about the loaves. Because their hearts were hardened. This is some kind of trick. They say, I don't get it. What is, you thought that was a trick, fellas? How about, I don't know, I'll walk out on the water and meet you. The boat you sail around in all the time on the water, you sail around it and you know where the deep spots are. I'll meet you at the deep spot. Walking on the water. Practical application, you've seen Jesus work and sort of been left with, "Mm, I don't get that. I don't, yeah, he worked in that ministry, he worked in that person's life, he did whatever. I'll, I'll believe it, but I don't really get it. Until you're in deep and you notice Jesus is in your environment. When does he react to you? When you're crying out like a girl. When you're screaming your head off out of fear, Jesus calmly says, hey, good to see ya. It's me. Don't worry. Can I get in that boat with you? Right? The old Dutchman that trained my pastor, Herbert Meppelink, used to say, fellowship, fellowship, fellowship is just two fellows in the same ship. I want Jesus in my boat. I want to be in fellowship with him. I want him in my storm. I want him in my problem. Okay. Jesus is always in your proximity. If you're not calling out to him, guess what? If I just said this, it might be sacrilegious or blasphemy. But if you don't call out to him, he may just pass you by. Mm-hmm. Meaning to pass them by, except for the whole girl scream. Mm-hmm. Stop, turn aside, how can I help you? Right? Cry Cry out to Jesus. That therein is the biggest problem, is it not? We do not ask for help. That's the biggest problem. I'll take you back to the exodus of the nation of Israel. And they've fallen into sin, and the vipers have emerged amongst them, and they're being bitten, and they're dying. And Moses is told, Make the brass serpent. Put it on the pole, lift it up above the camp. Anyone that looks at the brass serpent will be healed. What kind of knucklehead do you have to be to not just look at the snake? How completely short-sighted are you? But listen, if you examine yourself, I bet there have been times in your life that there are times in my life where I know why I'm suffering so badly and I won't just turn my eyes to Jesus. Human sin, human nature. Turn your eyes, cry out, beckon to, and he will immediately climb up into your situation and calm the whole thing and take you right to where you belong. You say, I beckoned, I know he came aboard, but I'm still in the storm. Apparently, that's where you belong. Right? Because he's going to do this every time if we will call out to him. This is his nature, right? Paul said, I have this thorn in the flesh. Please take it away. Three times he asked and the Lord says, no. Don't you hate that? When he says, no, please, God, do what I want. Everyone else around me that has examined my situation has told me that what I'm asking of you is reasonable and you should do it. Please do this thing. And his answer comes back, no. That stinks from our perspective. But what was the reason for Paul? To keep him humble. Because... His knowledge of Jesus Christ and the Word was so profound, and the power that worked in his life was so profound. This guy's sweatbands made people well. You'd tend to perhaps get a little arrogant, you know what I'm saying? If your handkerchief healed people, you know what I'm saying? You used it, and then... Put it in your back pocket and dropped it and somebody took it home and laid it on their uncle and he was restored to life. You might have a tendency, you know, maybe you wouldn't because you're so deeply spiritual. But maybe I would. Maybe Paul would have a tendency to get full of themselves. And Paul confesses to us that the Lord told me, no, my grace is sufficient for you so that you will not be exalted above measure above measure. You've got a certain measure that is appropriate, Paul, but you have a tendency to be exalted above measure. Oh, I can identify with that. I am awesome. Just ask me.
1: <laughs> we,
0: narcissism is ridiculous, right? I mean, we are way hung up. You're not like that, but some of us are way hung up on ourselves. And and God is guarding Paul against doing that, against doing that with, with something he's going to have to rely upon the Lord. called Jesus into his life. Please, I'm suffering. Come over here. Jesus enters the situation and basically says, well, that really does stink, but you're going to live with it. You're going to deal with that for the rest of your days. That's, that's actually God's grace. You know how I know? Because that's what Paul said. <laughs> my grace is sufficient for you. So now i got to apply that to myself. And understand that the things I wrestle with, and I struggle with, and I wish weren't around, and I didn't have to deal with, and all that stuff, the Lord is saying, my grace is sufficient for you. You're going to be dealing with that. <clears throat> they immediately are delivered and... Here we get the summary from the Holy Spirit. And again, I submit to you, John, Mark, and Peter writing this together, probably we can assume at some point said to Jesus, so what was up with the walking on water and passing us by? And he said, because you didn't understand the loaves. And they're, what? What do you mean? Because what? He's literally taking the loaves and creating more loaves and more loaf, and more fish, and more fish. And they're like, that is a sleight of hand like I've never seen. Then there's a trick to that. They haven't even settled down in the place. Remember that the other Gospels tell us that when this occurred, right, they fall down and worship him, saying, basically, who other than God can take command of nature this way? They realize who they're in the presence of that 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 is the whole point of this is to humble them into recognition of Jesus. This is Jesus flexing his muscles yeah i I just I just created for you right in front of your eyes, and you clearly don't have the proper respect for that so Let me just take command of nature. Peace, be still, calm. And they are floored by that. The Lord will humble you that way. When they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret and anchored there. And when they had come out of the boat, immediately the people recognized him, ran through the whole surrounding region and began to carry about on beds those who were sick and wherever they heard he was wherever he uh, he entered into villages cities and country or the country they laid the sick in the marketplace and begged him that he might just touch or they might just touch the hem of his garment and as many as he touched as many as touched him were made well um as you read that section hopefully we've studied slow and methodically through mark and hopefully as you're reading that like several things are sparking from the past studies okay Gennesaret your last reference to this was the man in the tombs right that was breaking the iron fetters who was demon possessed you know I am legion and cast out and they go into the pigs and we talked about uh, the the whole region rejected him Right. The Decapolis, the 10 city region, had rejected him. Right. The demons are saying, go away. What do we have to do with you? When the people come out after the man's been healed of demon possession, the citizens are saying, go away. We don't want anything to do. They're saying the same thing demons were saying. Right. The demon possessed man begs, let me go with you. I'll be your disciple. I want to follow you. Jesus says, no, you're going to have to stay here. Stay where? Kennesaret. Now when he arrives, they're thronging to him. I submit to you again, this is because the demon-possessed man who had been healed stayed there and testified, as Jesus said, no, I want you to stay here, and I want you to share with your community, I want you to share with your family, I want to share with your friends and your relatives what I have done for you. And he stays, and when Jesus arrives again, they throng to him. The attitude has completely shifted of this community. There's a remarkable reaction to him when jesus sends out the 72 and they go minister a little noted thing is that he sends them into all the cities that he himself is going to be going into right and they go and they represent jesus in a microcosm way then when jesus arrives Their hearts are prepared. These disciples of Jesus have cast out demons and they've healed on a lesser scale, right? And they've even met defeat, right? Uh, You know, there in, uh, what was that, Matthew 17, when he uh, has been transfigured and then he comes down off the mountain and the man meets him with a demon-possessed son who had suffered from epilepsy, and he says, your disciples tried to cast out this demon and were not able to, and Jesus casts him out, and and then they say to him, why couldn't we do that? He says, this one only comes out with prayer and fasting. Well, wait a minute. Jesus didn't pray and fast. He just spoke the thing out. What he was saying is for you, (laughs) this only works when you pray and fast. For me, I just drive them out with the finger of God get out, (laughs) and they have to go, you know, so, so this, this precursory work, right, is very, very necessary, it's a thing that the Lord does, and you know what, guys, very often that's what we're doing, you know, people say that, right, oh, my hometown, that's a dark place, my home, that's a really hard, that's some hard ground, yeah, go there and light it up, Go there and break it up. You probably won't have much success because it is dark. You're very familiar with it, and your assessment is dark and hard. Okay, so that's what it is. Go there and be the demon possessed man who has been delivered, and pray, and teach, and share, and minister. And continue to ask your heavenly father that he would come to that community. You go as the one who has been sent and then ask him to come. Right? We see repeatedly throughout history this takes place. Those who go into a region and preach and share and teach and share and preach and share and teach and share and then finally die. In that location. And then years later somebody comes along and the grounds have been softened and the Holy Spirit has filled them, and people respond. The precursory work, it's something to consider in this whole process. They are readied for this. So I'll remind us by reading the verses from Mark chapter 5, verses 18 through 20, when he got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. However, Jesus did not permit him and said to him, go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. And he departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him and all marveled. And then this, what we're reading in six, is Jesus' return. And there's a great response. It's a a wonderful example to us to consider you know, what the Lord is doing here. So let's go into seven and uh, see what kind of mileage we make here. <clears throat> in Mark chapter seven, verse one, it says, then the Pharisees and some of the scribes came together to him, having come from Jerusalem. We hear this a couple times, okay? <clears throat> and the way it's worded in the original language is the idea of they were sent as a delegation from Jerusalem representing the religious authority of Jerusalem. So they're there as like official spokesmen of Jewish religion. So so they're, they're coming uh, to denounce, renounce, test, you know, trick, stumble. Uh, And it's in an official capacity. So there's a plan behind this. We're going to come, we're going to show up, and we'll get him. You know, that other crew couldn't handle him. But, you know, we're wisecrackers. So we'll go down there and really stir this situation up. So the Pharisees and some of the scribes came together to him, having come from Jerusalem. And when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is, uh, with unwashed hands, they found fault. Now, hopefully, uh, you've had some teaching in regard to this. It isn't that these guys were, like, working on a greasy engine and shoveling manure at the same time and just covered in, you know, filth and just grabbed a sandwich and started eating. Okay, They may have even washed their hands, Okay, which was... A common practice of the day. It's that they didn't go through the religious ritual of washing their hands, right? There are several different methods described in uh, the Jewish writings of how this was to be done. A quick summary is, uh, you know, hold the hands downward away from yourself under running water and scrub usually fingers separated over one another and you think oh for cleansing no it's just ritual and and then you know when you were done you had to like hold your hands in the opposite direction uh so that the water would drip off from your elbows you couldn't have any of the contaminated water remain on your hands you know and you had to go through these particular motions and methods of washing your hands And, and then then you were religiously ceremonially pure Is what they were doing. It didn't have anything to do with. Your hands are kind of grimy. Why don't you wash your hands. Before we eat together. It was strictly religious symbology. And these guys didn't give a hoot about any of that. Including Jesus. Not following the practices at all. You know. I don't think there's really much way. To describe that in our modern culture. In a similar way, as far as hand washing goes, you know, they're the really hung up on religious practices, methods, you know, different different things. I, uh, you know, the closest I could come is uh, as a young man, uh, I was attending a Christian school in uh, fifth grade. And they uh, it was 185 years ago, but it was, you know, anyway, 1981. I was in uh, school and uh, a church started a Christian radio station, which was new to our community, strictly Christian radio station. And everybody was excited about it. Well, um, we took over a bunch of records. They were asking for people to help them expand their library. And uh, this was the time period of burning uh, rock and roll albums, you know. Gather all your Kiss albums up and light them on fire, type of thing, and uh, you know burn all your Queen albums, and you know which probably a pretty good idea. But um, you know, <clears throat> so so we arrive with our albums, and um, you know I say names you might recognize, um like uh, Keith Green, okay, Randy Stonehill, um, Larry Norman, okay. And, you know, we got a bunch of albums that are in this genre. And um, they quickly, in minutes, summarize that what we have brought them is more of the devil's music. And these all need to be burned also. And, like, we're kids. We show up, like, all proud and happy. Like, hey, we got some stuff for you. And they confiscate them, and they're going to burn them. Like, we can't even have them back. Like weird Uh, and my mother called them up and had uh quite a conversation with them about that and we got our albums back i'll tell you that um the they sent one of their men from leadership to explain to us that a missionary had uh been in africa and one of these albums uh some time before we had this interaction, had returned from America to the mission field with one of these albums with their daughter. And when she began to play it and the natives heard it, they all freaked out because that was the drumbeat they used to summon demons up as part of their worship. And so clearly the drumbeat in that was demonic and therefore should be destroyed. Well, you know, the long and short of the story is um, all of the albums that they were allowing on the radio station had the same beat. Just wasn't being played on a drum kit, right? I mean, as a drummer, right? I mean, it's two, four, 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 eight, you know. Two, three, three, six, three, eight. What do you do? I mean, it's there are no different beats, you know. Music all has a beat, and you know what are you talking about in it, you know? And and what's interesting is, you know, years later you hear that it, it wasn't Keith Green, you know, it was Dallas Home and Praise, and no, it was Petra. No, it was no, it wasn't even Africa. It was the Congo. No, it was Asia. No, it was it's fiction. I'd like to say it's not Christian fiction, but guess what? It's Christian fiction. Okay. The very thing Jesus is going to talk about here has direct application. Right. It's not these things that defile a person or make them clean. It's not the method by which you wash your hands. It's not the beat within the music. Right. Contemporary, you know, classical music. I mean, you know, the metalheads of today that are all just, you know, a thousand beats a measure, you know, that are cranking out whatever they're doing. Listen, Beethoven was doing the same thing. Right. And in fact, the beat was actually much more pronounced within the orchestra. The method by which it's, it's foolishness. We want to be very careful about how religiosity affects us. You know, follow the scripture. Let the Holy Spirit teach you. They're all upset. You're not washing your hands properly. You know, it's crazy, crazy stuff that, that is taught and thought in these circumstances. They had unwashed hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way, holding the tradition of the elders. When they came, when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other things which they have received and hold, like the washing of cups, pictures, copper vessels and couches reclining chairs whatever they have all of these traditions that they hold to um i have pointed out there is a tradition that uh is mentioned in the scripture about traveling a sabbath day's journey from your home on the sabbath day um and there are different people that have different opinions about how far that is but um about a mile, let's say, just for the sake of argument, most commonly thought of that way. So on the Sabbath, um, you can travel about a mile. So many of these people wanted to travel further than that. And so they had a Sabbath rope that they commonly used. And it wasn't, often wasn't even a rope. It was a piece of twine, very long. And they would tie it to their house. And then put the stick through the spindle and walk the day before. A very long ways away from their house. The direction they wanted to go tomorrow. Wind that all the way out. And then tomorrow, when you want to go that direction, you could walk a mile from the end of that rope to wherever you're going. Because that rope is attached to your house. So therefore, that is your house. Mm -hmm. So that's the sum total of distance. So from that point on, couldn't couldn't wear your false teeth on the Sabbath because that's carrying a load. You know, not supposed to do any work or carry a load. Ladies, you were not allowed to look in a mirror on the Sabbath. You might notice a gray hair and be compelled to pluck it out. And if you did, I'm not making this up. You saw gray hair and felt compelled to pluck it out. Well, now you're harvesting. You can understand. The 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 methods, right? All these little things. You, you want to be really careful, right? There are still people within Christianity who carry these tremendous burdens and try to affix them. Oh, I thought you were a Christian. I am a Christian. Well, I just saw you eat that, you know, drink that, go there. These things, there are things that we can defile ourselves with. Don't get me wrong. Right? You know, if you end up in sin, then guess what? You have defiled yourself. You need to consider how that might affect you. But we're talking about all these rituals. doesn't have anything to do with being righteous. The Pharisees and scribes asked, why do your disciples... Not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands. He answered him and said to them, "Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? That's always a nice way to start a discussion. You know what I'm saying? Win friends and influence people. Just might I just point out what a profound hypocrite I've noticed you are? You know." It's going to take the wind out of the sails. As it is written, this people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrine the commandments of men. Teaching as doctrine the commandments of men. There is a lot of that in the world around us. In all the denominations of the churches. There is the doctrine of men, the teaching of men, that they act like, oh, no, this is God's word. For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men, the washing of pitchers, the cups, and many other such things you do. Laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men. Listen. Laying aside the commandment, okay, there are two that we must hold to in the New Testament. Don't get me wrong. All ten are applicable. But then if you take the Levitical law and then you take all of its application, you take all of its interpretation, you can build very, very rapidly something that the Scripture never intended. Jesus Christ simplified it for us right down to two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Okay. You say, yeah, well, what about lying? If I love you as I love myself, I'm not going to lie to you. If I love the Lord my God with all of my heart, soul, and mind, if I love the Lord my God with all of my heart, soul, and mind, I will love my neighbor as myself. And as Jesus said, I will fulfill all of the law. I will fulfill it. I will keep it. I will walk in it. You will walk in it. And you will recognize when you are not. Let's jump over to the tradition for just a second. Okay? I raised all three of my daughters knowing the cultural tradition of Santa Claus. Okay? But they also knew the truth about Santa Claus from, from the youngest ages up. I never lied to them once. As they got older, right? And if you're sitting there thinking, oh, right, the traditions of St. Nicholas. No, I didn't even do a lot of that. Much later, when they were older, we talked about some of what is believed to be the tradition. Some of that we have no way of knowing regarding what is referred to as St. Nicholas, it's an interesting study, and there's a lot of stuff behind that. What they understood is that Santa Claus was a creation of our culture regarding the giving of gifts, and it had some semblance of religious background. But Santa Claus is not real, right? A whole bunch of you might be thinking right now, like, dude, you're going to have to edit this broadcast. No, okay? From the youngest of age. And we even went through the truth of it's okay to enjoy Santa Claus. You're going to go to the mall and there'll be one. It's somebody in a suit and they're pretending to be Santa Claus. And it's all part of this cultural tradition that we hold regarding the giving and receiving of gifts. And we taught them that the significance of Christmas is Jesus Christ's birth. And we dwelt on that. And we taught them that. And our gifts given and received were focused on the gift that Christ had given us and the abundance and liberty Christ had given us. So I've shared this before. We went to visit some relatives when my oldest daughter, Christian, was still very little. And I had no idea the family was going to do this and were enjoying Christmas and having conversation and we're going to eat a little later and there comes a knock at the front door and everybody gets all excited and says to my daughter go find out who's at the front door and I'm baffled and they're insistent but they're all smiling and I can recognize okay this is a good safe thing I have no idea what we're about to do And she goes to the front door, and I'm with her. She opens the door, and there's Santa Claus, in person. Big beard, whole nine yards. I immediately recognize who it is, dressed up in the Santa Claus outfit. My daughter, Christian, looks at me and looks at him and goes right into character. Santa Claus, wonderful, come inside. And he comes in, and we do the whole spiel and gifts and up on the knee, and what did you want for Christmas, and conversation, and she just rolls like a champion about, this is cool, Santa Claus came to visit, wonderful. And Santa Claus leaves after a time, and he's been out the door for four or five minutes, and Christian, little tiny girl, blonde ringlets, blue eyes, says, who was that? And they say, Santa Claus. And she says, right. (laughs) But who was playing Santa Claus? (laughs) And they're like, nobody. That was the real deal. Santa came from the North Pole to visit you. Now she digs her heels in. And those of you that know my daughter, Christian... Know what I mean when I say she digs her heels in? I, thirty-year-old mother now, and you want to see her dig her heels in? It's pretty interesting. My worship leader in her church, she digs her heels in as this little girl and just sets them all straight. About hey, not goofing around here. I'm paraphrasing, but I appreciate what you've done, and that was all very nice, and I enjoyed it deeply. But who was the guy playing Santa Claus? And they refuse to tell her. And they're angry and you would not believe how mad they were at us. Okay? And we end up having to have a conversation later in the day where I say to them all, let's go back to what we all experienced with this little girl. Did she enjoy what you did? And they're all like, yeah. And I'm like, was anything lost? No. She just wants to know the truth, and I put it down hard of here's the issue. what we're all doing is celebrating the birth of my Lord?" And she knows that, and she's never going to come to a moment in her life where she says, "Hey, adults lie to me about spiritual things. you say, Santa Claus spiritual things. He sees you while you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good. Who does that other than Jesus? They're attributing to Santa Claus, and let's get this straight, the church has developed a tradition where Santa Claus has the attributes that only belong to God. We we look at this and somehow separate and think, "Oh, well that's just sort of a" and when I get this out of about they go, oh, "See, you are a cult." <laughs> no, no. No, I want the people that I minister to to know the truth and to live by the truth. And 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 let's be real. Some of the traditions aren't all that terrible. As long as we know this is strictly in the realm of tradition. Strictly in the realm of tradition. Okay. Some of the, I say some of the traditions, right? Stay on the subject of Christmas here for just a moment. Right. Angels we have heard on high. Sweetly singing o'er the plain. Read the passage again. They don't ever sing. Now, some people go, well, angels can't sing. That's not true either. Job tells us that all the hosts of heaven sang during creation. Okay, so so my point is this. Some of the traditions we hold, it's no big deal if we sing that song, right? We don't have to become ultra. We don't have to become these guys like, you said that they sang. They don't sing. We don't have to do that. But it's it's important and it's significant that we know and understand where tradition ends and truth begins. Because I do not ever want to sit down with somebody and have to divide between those things. They've been raised and reared. Listen, I was in Poland, Krakow, doing street ministry with a group of kids from this church. And... The biggest argument that I had was with with people over God the Father. Because the Roman Catholic Church there has so ingrained this concept of the Pope being Father and the priests being Father and God being the Father that in the mind of everyone you minister to, that's all one thing. When you say Father, you, uh, you're, t- you're talking about God, but that also includes their their priest and the Pope. That's, that's all synonymous. That's profoundly incorrect. And I have to sit and I, I end up leading this guy to Christ. Why? Because I've got a, an English to Polish Bible. And this is the first time he's read John chapter 3 raised in the Catholic Church. He's in his 40s, raised in the Catholic Church his whole life. It's the first time he sat down, opened the book, and his eyes have actually read word for word John chapter 3, Nicodemus coming to Jesus at night, you must be born again. He thought that was a term that the American evangelical church had created. He didn't even know that being born again was something that Jesus taught and insisted upon. Traditions that nullify the Word of God, very dangerous, very dangerous in America and around the world. Okay, we we want to be men and women that who, 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 we're gracious, we're kind, we're loving, we're we're understanding, right? We don't have to get up on our religious pedestal and act like I'm better than everybody else. but, but knowing the truth and delivering it accurately helps people come to know the Lord. Right? How many people do you think in this culture were like right in the middle of taking a bite out of their hoagie and made eye contact with some Jewish religious leader who was like snarling at them over the fact that they had not, you know, washed their hands according to the tradition, and they're supposed to feel incredibly self-condemned and you know loathsome and gosh, I wish I was good as that guy. Right, Jesus accepted, accepted the common people, embraced them, walked with them, talked with them, ate with them, fellowshiped with them, and these people turned their nose up at the, You know, <clears throat> make sure you don't just look back through history at these guys and think, "What a bunch of self-righteous religious creeps!" Because man, it's easy for us to do it. You know, we we forget, I you know, I forget I was a drug addict. I forget I was an alcoholic. I forget I was a criminal. And they show up in my environment and they're horrible and wretched and smell bad. And I think, oh, I don't want to hang out with this guy. Really? <laughs> uh, really, you know. <clears throat> Do I want to pick up this hitchhiker? He just reeks of cigarettes. Yeah, like you did, Will right we we get so hung up on ourselves, I appreciate the cleansing Christ has done in my life, the religious cleansing Christ has done in my life. I appreciate it, but boy, I got to be careful that I don't get arrogant about it that i that I have a heart for those who don't wash their hands the way I think they should, right? Who who do things I don't think they should, right? You know, that, that whole thing of, of, you know, smoking cigarettes. I mean, I don't mean to dwell on a particular vein of that, but, you know, we, we as Christians get way hung up on that. Now no, don't get me wrong. Like, we're not going to develop a smoking area outside the church. But, you know, our, our culture... Our culture very much has an entirely different mindset about these things, right? I guess I would really have to t- start talking about vaping now, wouldn't I, right? What, what, if, what if you can stand in that cloud and converse with them and talk to them about Jesus, right? I'm not talking about taking hits off their cloud. I'm just talking about standing there and talking with them. Boy, they need to know Jesus. They really need to know Jesus. And our culture has, you know, and I mean this, our Christian culture has lost touch with a lot of them. You know, I, I know I'm long in this, guys. I'll, I'll, I'll put this one to us again, right? S- some of us in this room, deeply Calvary Chapel, and and we know the history of Chuck Smith. And and we've heard, right, how Chuck went to the beaches and he ministered to the hippies and he loved the hippies. I was astonished just before Chuck passed away when he came to the pastor's conference in Maryland and said, you know, I've heard for years about how much I loved the hippies. And I got to tell you, I didn't. I thought that they were dirty. I thought that they were stinky, irresponsible, loathsome, untrustworthy people. Didn't want to be around them. He said it was my wife who loved them and convicted me of the fact that I needed to go love them. And so I did. He said, I've heard stories about how the hippies started coming into our church and we had brand new carpet And the deacons got upset about how the hippies dirty feet because they were all barefoot and walking off the beaches, bringing all the sand and the dirt was ruining our carpets and how the deacons were upset. And then I got mad at the deacons and said, what's more important, uh, you know, hippies or carpeting? And, And so we ripped the carpet and he said that that wasn't me. I was upset about our carpets getting ruined. And I was asked the question, what's more important, the hippies or the carpets? I was convicted and we ripped the carpets out. Yeah, the movement happened. Yes, but right. my point within this is we all need to watch our heart. our, Our traditions can lead us away from the spirit of Christ. Right? These souls are going to hell. They're going to spend an eternity separated from Christ. What do I care about what they smoke or vape or if I can get words into their ears and into their minds and into their hearts and see people one out of the grasp of our enemy? What a glorious thing. What a glorious thing. Take the opportunity. Don't, you know, examine your own heart. Don't look down too sharply on those that are around you there's all kinds of opportunities staring us in the face and uh, we would be wise to capitalize on them amen amen right we're all waiting for the time of the gentiles to be fulfilled maybe it's that one person you're going to lead to christ if if we would just get over ourselves and speak to them so but the Lord ministered to. You. Um, why don't we stand and we'll pray and we'll pick up there next week when we're together.